Um, this evening, I, I'm going to share a passage of Scripture that's been close to my heart in this church planting process. This, this, uh, this, this staff position I have here is a church planting internship, and what that is, is I meet with uh, staff members, with Pastor Wade, and I'm given a lot of reading assignments, books, uh, just different church planting things for me to take in to, to help me be a better church planner and pastor. And we, uh, we, we work in small group ministry. We learn about different church planning theories and different things. And in this time of study, which has been very helpful to me, um, I've, been, I've been given a, a sense of, of uh, I'm not going to say foreboding, but a sense of heaviness uh, about kind of where the church, where Christians are in reaching modern-day America. Um, when I look at the stats of Sioux City, it actually looks a lot like America. Sioux City is right in the middle of the United States. It is in the Midwest. And in a town of surrounding area, 180,000 people, when you count all surrounding area, there's only three uh, Baptist churches we know of, and only a handful of churches that actually preach the gospel. And as you do research, you find that's common for the United States. And that, of course, is, is serious for us because we want to see people come to faith. We want to see disciples made. We want to see churches planted. We want to see the nations know about Jesus, right? That's a, that, that is a, a sense of heaviness as a pastor who wants one day to plant other churches. But as I thought about it more and more, and I look at more and more things and study and just really look at, at what we're facing now in our culture, the reality is it's not just numbers of churches. But the reality is that we so often are not equipped and do not understand always how to reach people who are not Christians. There's a time in our country, even 30 years ago, where even if you weren't a Christian, you had somewhat of a Christian worldview. You understood that you understood that God was the creator and the church was God's, uh, uh, God's institution and movement that was to reach people. And there, you could even give the gospel in so many words. You may not have been a Christian, but you had a Christian understanding of things. Um, people understood basic Bible verses. People understood what Sundays are for. How many of you remember when things were closed on Sundays? It's a lot of people. I, I really don't. Yeah. And as I look at my life, I say, I'm, I'm, I'll, be 30, I'll be 36 coming up in September. So I'm, I'm pretty medium age. I'm older than some, younger than others. And I say at 36, I look at the culture that I came from, and I see real changes. If you're 56 or 66, it's got to be breathtaking what's going on in our culture. Before I get the text, I want to re- read uh, some stats. They tell you in preaching, don't start off a sermon with stats. So I'm breaking the first, <laughs> well, the first rules of preaching off the bat. This is a Pew, uh, Pew Religious, Pew Forum is a, is a research firm that put, does um, research and studies on religion in America. They, they study just religion, not just Christianity, but the whole, the whole gamut. And I want to read a stat um, They've taken a survey. This came out last year, so to, actually 2012. So this is the most up-to-date information that we have from Pew Forum. They asked a series of questions to, to groups of people, and they asked them, um, what is your conception of God? What do you believe someone must do to go to heaven? Basic things that a religious person could answer. Here's the question. 
If I were to ask you, how many religions can lead to eternal life? What would your answer be? One. Amen. If you don't think it's one, see me after. This church believes it's one, and it's through Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, good. All right, it's home team. Surveys say 57% of evangelicals, evangelicals, in case you don't know, means people who believe the Bible. 57% of evangelicals in this country believe there is more than one way to heaven. God, this is scientific stats. This isn't some preacher talk. This is research done, academic research. I'm looking through more of them, and just these are raw numbers, and some of them aren't surprising. We know Islam is growing in our country, and, um, and Mormonism is growing, and Jehovah's Witnesses is growing. This stuff we, we kind of figure out. Catholicism is, is losing steam. Um, evangelical churches are slowly growing, almost, almost middling. And here's one that just, that just shocked me. Now, don't you listen to this. Asking the question, do you believe in a God? 20% of atheists in this country said they believe in a God. I'll repeat that. <laughs> An atheist is someone, by definition, who does not believe in what? So when they were asked... Do you believe in a God? 20% of atheists say, yes, I do. Then I really got thinking, that, that does not line up. It's like saying, what's your favorite shade of blue? Well, it's red. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, does it? Another question was asked, do you believe that God is a life force, meaning an energy force. Not a personal God, but a life force, uh, uh, something you can, you can uh, manipulate to, to kind of do your will. And atheists, 13% of atheists said they believe that God is a life force. 6% said that he, he's a personal God. That was very interesting. 13% thought he was a life force, just a, an energy that, that controls all the universe. Then I looked at some more stats, and this is the one where it hit the floor. I read the stat, I said, I know where I'm going Wednesday night. 12% of evangelicals believe that God is a life force. You know what that means? It's a statistical dead heat, plus or minus two percentage points. 13% of atheists in this country believe that God is a life force, a non-personal deity. 12% of evangelical evangelical Christians believe the exact same thing. You know what that means? In most churches, there is not a practical difference between a Christian and an atheist in the way they see God. As a matter of fact, the percentage of people who, who see God as a person is almost statistically the same as an agnostic and an evangelical Christian. My head was swimming. You know what this told me? It told me not only as a, as a nation are we losing our Christian worldview, values. We, we, we agree with that. I don't have to show you stats another day. Watch TV, if you dare. <laughs> it's also as a nation we are more confused about who God is than ever. As a matter of fact, we are actually more religious in this nation than we ever have been. 77% of people in this country say they're religious. But more than ever, we know less and less about the God of the Bible. So people are more religious following whatever they think and less and less what the Bible says about our God. 
I got a problem with that. How about you? As a church that preaches the gospel, as a church that goes see these flags go around the world, as a church that is plants churches and has graciously uh, sending out my wife and I to do the same. I have to have a problem with that, amen? So what are we going to do about it? We're going to do what we should do. We go back to Scripture, amen? The book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts with me. The book of Acts, chapter 17. We're going to go to a story where the Apostle Paul faces a culture very similar to ours. I did not say in the illustration here that America's confusion is new. It's not. It's not. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 17, looking at verses 16 through 34. Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. The title of this is Reaching 21st Century Athens. Reaching 21st Century Athens. Verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, just stop right there. We'll, we'll develop the context. Paul's going on a second missionary journey. He's going, from, he's going from city to city, planting churches, preaching the gospel, and he comes across the city of Athens. Now, Athens is in Greece. Today, it's main pretty well-known city today. It's existence. It's main attraction is tourism now. Back then, Athens was a a, a city-state, almost a nation that has lost its former glory. Sound familiar? It was a city of about 10,000 people. How much bigger than Hernando? One time it was probably 100,000. It had just lost a, a war to Rome, and so therefore their city had been savaged. Athens, even today, and definitely in first century um, Greece, where this was written, when this is where Athens was in, in first century culture, Athens was the most influential city in the world, right along with Rome. Athens is a city that had produced brilliant scholars. You may have heard their names. May not have read a lot of them, but you know their names, right? Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Zeno. Famous scholars that, that, that we have, that uh, academic and university students have studied forever. As a matter of fact, universities were first developed in Athens. And democracy was first pinned as, uh, by, by Socrates as he looked and he meditated over the, the fall of Athens. It was a city of great influence, great cultural influence, great intellectual influence. As a matter of fact, this was a totally different animal than Paul's ever, ever been to. I think you could say this, that America right now is a totally different animal than most of us have seen. Would you agree? And when Paul comes to Athens, he says in verse 16, it says, Now when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for his team, his ministry team, it says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Athens is a center of Greek culture. If you studied in school the, the Greek gods... Athens was a, was a city that had all around it amazing temples honoring false gods. I'm not talking about, we, like, read maybe in Old Testament about statues. Oh, Athens didn't just have statues. They had temples, houses. They believed these gods lived there. They believed that they, 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 they made their lives there. They were incredible. And you had the God of the harvest. You had the God of fertility. You had the God of the ocean. You had God of the water. You had God of the sun. You had the goddess of the moon. Hundreds of these temples. Now think about your Paul. 
Paul is a devout Christian. The great Christian missionary Paul loves Lord Jesus. He walks in Athens and he sees this. He is, his heart is crushed with his idolatry. Your heart should be crushed when you see idolatry. He sees this city and it's full of idols and, and his spirit is, is just moved. And he says um, in verse 17, says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Okay, so he starts off with his strategy he had always used. When Paul would go to a city, first place he'd go would be the synagogue because he's Jewish. He was accepted as a former Pharisee. He would go in and he would preach Christ. He would see some Jews saved, some Jews won. I mean, when he was in Thessalonica, he did this, and they chased him out. I mean, it was often persecution came, but it was a good strategy. He does this in Athens. He goes and he goes to the synagogue where he was welcome. He would preach Jesus. Usually he would go three weeks. Two weeks he'd preach. One week he would explain. And then here's what, here's what happens. So he'd go to the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he would go out in the marketplace, and he would basically street preach, and he'd preach the gospel. And verse, here's where it gets interesting, verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. He comes out, he's preaching in this market, and Epicurean philosophers and Stoic philosophers hear him preaching. Epicurean philosophers, Epicureans were people who, they were philosophers who believed that everything in their life, all of life was an accident. They believed, you can read, I mean, you can read their, their teachings today, it's, you most of it download for free on the internet. They believed that all of us were made up of atoms, so they were smart, <laughs> but they thought that all of our atoms were an accident. The universe is an accident. So they had a saying, eat, drink, for tomorrow we what? Die. That was their motto. That was their creed. That was their life verse. Like they saw life as we have as much fun as we can because there's no purpose in life ultimately because we're an accident. We might even be a mistake. Let's go collect as many toys as we can, have as much fun, then we die. Oh, that's not an unusual philosophy, is it? That's pretty common today. Next group is the Stoic philosophers. You, when someone says someone's Stoic, it means they're very stiff-faced. Well, that's not necessarily these guys. These guys what we call, they, they were pantheistic. What that meant was they believed that God was in everything. It wasn't a God of chairs. This chair is God. Like Hinduism today, if you're familiar with it. And these Stoic philosophers, they were very religious. They were very disciplined in their understanding of the world. If they lived a good, disciplined life, they could influence God, an impersonal force, to do good things for their lives. And what's funny, the Epicureans and the Stoics hated each other. Isn't it funny when Jesus would go and preach? The Pharisees and Sadducees, both Jewish groups, they hate each other until Jesus comes and proclaims he's Lord. And guess what? Oh, they, any friend of my enemy, what, is a friend of mine. They hated Jesus because when he preached, he spoke to everyone. So here comes Paul preaching Jesus. Epicureans hear him. Stoics hear him. I hate you. I hate you. But guess what? We both hate this guy. 
Because Paul's preaching this thing about the resurrection of the dead. This is a foreign deity. What do you mean? What do you mean? God comes and dies and sacrifices his life. In their understanding of the world, God, no God would sacrifice anything for a human. But here's what they say. Look at verse 19. It says, They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is a, imagine a huge marketplace. Almost, ever been to a flea market? Hey, man, y'all been to some flea markets? I love flea markets. But imagine the whole town's there. And along with selling the, uh, the corn dogs and, and everything else, they sell the flea markets, right? In the middle of it would have been a huge, almost auditorium. Imagine a, like a high school football stadium. People would sit, and they would hear just people talk. And they would talk about philosophy. Philosophy was like the national sport of Athens. And so these guys are saying, we don't like your teaching, but man, it's different. Let's get you to the big stadium. Let's take you to the big house. And you go and you tell this crazy stuff about this God, this Jesus dying on the cross. Oh, they're going to love you. Oh, this is going to be like a circus. So Paul goes. Go to verse 20. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So in this Areopagus, people would just sit around and just talk. It was like, it was like first century Facebook. People would just sit around and just say a bunch of nothing. So somebody would come in, and they'd hear him talk, and they'd talk about it. Certainly it would be an interesting thing to see. Not my crowd, though. So here's where we begin, verse 22. Now we're going to look at the rest of the text, 22 to 36. What we're going to look at are the ways that we can reach modern-day Athens. Because what I believe, when we go through this text, we're going to see that Athens of the first century is so much like America in the 21st. This is a culture that is very proud of itself, has a very strong worldview, that has been very accomplished, but does not understand the things of God at all. And this is where... Post-Christian America is going if we're not there yet. Because Paul, all of a sudden, he has to change. He's been preaching to mainly Jewish audiences or Gentile audiences that had an understanding. Now he's going to a place that has no understanding of the gospel. But you know what? You preach the gospel to everybody regardless of their understanding. Verse 22, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens. That was the common greeting you would have when you preached there. Men of Athens. It's just a bold statement. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Stop right there. The first thing he does is this. Understand. Understand, guys. Understand that even when you're in a, in a worldview where many gods are worshipped, and it's very confusing, guess what? It's still very religious. This country we live in is very, very religious. What is a religion? A religion is anything you have faith in or you practice that you think is going to bring you salvation. Anything you have faith in or you practice that you think is going to bring you salvation. You have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Amen? Is it going to bring you salvation? If it's not, what are we here for? Right? We have faith in Jesus. 
In this culture, they had faith in a lot of different things. They had faith in, in false gods. They had faith in their own philosophy. They had faith in their own successes. In our culture today, we're very, very religious. But what we have faith in, we have faith in ourselves. We have faith in ourselves. While we still may be religious, some people, a lot of people still go to church or synagogue or mosque. I'm talking this religion here. But ultimately, our nation has faith in ourself. It's one of the greatest problems that we have. We, we've become more and more secular as we've become more and more religious. It's bizarre. How in the world can somebody say, I am an evangelical Christian? How can 57% of, America, of churchgoers in evangelical churches say, I believe there's more roads to heaven than just Jesus? Why? Because at the end of the day, they think there's other ways to be saved other than Christ, which is an understanding at the end of the day of what? Self-salvation. Because every other religion in the world believes that you are going to save yourself. So the first thing you have to understand, when you're in a culture that does not understand the gospel, they're still religious. They're still religious. I had a conversation with somebody at Starbucks. This is probably a month ago. I like to go and study about one or two days a week because it just seems I'll sit there and conversations just kind of happen. They see you reading the Bible and people want to have a conversation with you so you're able to, able to speak the gospel to them. I had, I had a guy, a guy and this lady, they were just talking, saw me reading a, reading a, a, a religious book, I forgot it was. They said, hey, can we, can we talk about what you're reading? I said, yeah, please. I'm talking to him and this guy says this. He says, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I believe most of the red letters of the Bible. <laughs> but it's true. But I also go to a fortune teller and also read a horoscope. It's a true story. I just say that because it sounds unbelievable. What happened? South Haven Starbucks. Mississippi, right? That, the one up the road. I said, wow. I said, man, I said, you know, I said, I've been to seminary. I got to unpack that. I said, you blow my mind with this stuff. I said, so you're, you're a Christian. He says, yeah. And you believe most of the red letters. If, you don't have, if you're not familiar, red letter Bible is, is the parts of the Bible that Jesus himself spoke. That's what, that's what that means. I said, so you believe most of the red letters? Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, Jesus is great. I said, what are the parts that you don't believe? Now, I'm not shocked when he says this. The parts about being Lord, the parts about repentance of sin, the parts, anything, anything that's not about feeding the poor, right? Loving your neighbor, or stuff that in the way this guy saw the world was good. He said, really, I just think the Bible, really, you know, actually most of the Bible's wrong, he says. And when you put the message together, the only thing that we, we need to understand is that God is love. And I said, wait a second. What if I were to tell you that I don't believe that particular verse? I, I do, but in other words, you choose the verse God is love to believe because it makes you feel good at the end. You think it's going to save you. I said, do you know it's right? He goes, well, I, I don't know that, but I think well, we can never know. I said, then you're not a Christian, brother. Because you can't say that. I said, by the word of God, I can you say you don't believe the Bible. You're saying you don't believe the parts about Jesus being uh, Lord, that you should repent. And now you're telling me you're not sure that God is love. You're not any kind of Christian either, man. 
We had a long conversation. I wasn't harsh. It sounds like I was. I wasn't. He says, well, I guess I don't know what I believe. I said, that's healthier to be that than parading around like you're a Christian when you're not. This is, this is, you know what he did for a living? I think, I think he was a plumber. Like he was a normal guy. This wasn't some wacky philosopher of math. This was a regular guy who you want to hang out with. See? Because people are religious. People are religious. Even if they don't believe the gospel. Okay, we'll go for it. Well, I'll walk with stuff way over here, didn't I? Look at that. Verse 23 says, For as I passed along, observed the object of your worship. Now he's, he's preaching this to the Athenian people. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, with therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Okay, here's, here's the deal. He's walking around, he's preaching to the Athenian people, and he's looking at these temples. And he says, I looked at one of your temples, and on the temple it said, to an unknown God. On these temples it would say, to, uh, I think one of them was to, to Jupiter, was one, of the, one of the gods, to Jupiter. Or to uh, Bacchus, the god, god of fertility. And he would say, and one said, to the unknown God. And what it was in, in Athens, if something happened in the city that was beneficial to the people, and they didn't know what God either sent it or prevented it or, or allowed it to happen, they would build an extra temple and say, to an unknown God, we don't know who he is, but we just, we just, we know there's a God up there. You know, and then Paul says, here's the deal. You worship an unknown God, but the next few verses, I'm going to tell you that there is a God and that you can know him. Next thing you got to know, guys, if you're going to reach 21st century Athens here in America, is that people have got to know, they've got to know that they can know our God. We have a personal God. Amen? They understand that in Athens. They had, they had no clue. <clears throat> I've, I've, I've read, I've, I like reading in the Greek literature. I find it fascinating. There's not a story you're going to find in Greek literature involving these false gods that says anything about these false gods coming down and sacrificing anything for any peon human. I only know one message that says their God had a cross. That's the God of the Bible who says that he loved us so much he sent his son to die on one. Our culture now doesn't understand the idea of a personal God. They have no idea. You go and you talk to the average American who falls in these percentages I gave earlier and ask them, what do you know about God? You're going to get a lot of bizarre answers. I already gave you the stats on that, right? But they're going to say, well, God is a, you know, he's judgmental, he's harsh. They're going to tell you stories of 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 things that they understand, particularly young people, particularly between the ages of 18 and 35. you got a smartphone. I call it a dummy phone because it's made me dumber since I have one. You have a smartphone? Okay, a few people. Uh, people 18 to 35 all have one, okay? What you have in there is you have a library in your hand, but you also have a lot of other things, okay? <laughs> you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have all these different things. And what's happened now is the culture we're in is the most connected culture in human history. Okay, so if you're so someone, let's say who's twenty or anybody, right? They, they can understand the tragedies that go on in this world. 
They understand about the war in South Sudan. They understand about the Ethiopian kids who have been kidnapped. They understand about the Malaysian flight that's been crashed. They understand about poverty going on in Africa or Asia because they have Facebook, they have Twitter, they have YouTube, they have all these different tools. They have it's the palm of their hand. So in, in a, if they're not a Christian, what they're seeing is a world that is painful and, and, and lost and hurting, right? And, and guys, do news ever report anything good? Right? I mean, you watch the Memphis News, the first 20 minutes, everybody got shot today, right? I mean, right? I mean, it's the news, but, I mean, you know, the Grizzlies could win the world championship, and it's going to be the fifth story. I mean, it's just how it is, right? Because people in the news are going to tell the war stories first. That's how they draw people in. So here's the deal. You have a culture that's more connected. They're hearing how bad the world is. If they don't know who God is, they look at the world and say, where is your God? Why do bad things happen to good people? How can kids in Africa starve? How can those people in Malaysia have a plane crash and die? How, where's your God? The Greeks didn't have that answer. Muslims don't have that answer. But the Bible says if you're a Christian, you have a personal relationship. And that's not based on anything mystical. That's based on the book of Romans where it says we are a friend of God. We're a friend of God. Why? Because we're so great? No. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. When Jesus gives the two great, uh, great commandments, right? He talks about a personal relationship. You love your Lord God with what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Everything about you. Everything about you. You love God with everything you've got. But what's the second part of that? You love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the question. You've got some person who worships the unknown God. You've got a culture. You've got people that you know that, that say they don't believe in a personal God. He's a life force. It could be, it could, it could be Christians you know. <laughs> I'll, show you the, I'll show you the stats. I'll show you the graph. It could be Christians you know. But you know what you do? You love them with the love of Christ. Practical question. Let's say you live in a neighborhood. We're going to move into Sioux City, right? Pray for us. Man wants to go with us? We've got spots available. <laughs> Pack a jacket, okay? Um, let's say our next-door neighbor. Bible uh, stats say, more stats reading here, that Sioux City is the sixth least Christianized city in America. So our next-door neighbors are probably not going to be church-going folks. That's where we're going, amen? Our next-door neighbor. Let, let's, say, let's say our next-door neighbors... And there have been a church. I'm just making this up. There have been a church. Let's say they, uh, they live together outside of, of, of marriage. Let's say they, um, they don't agree with the Bible. They don't, they don't agree with Jesus' counsel on, on sex and money and everything else. They live in a totally different world than some preacher dude from Mississippi, right? Totally different world. How should I respond? Should I say... Hell's hot, heaven's cool, Jesus saves? Be harsh to him? No. I should say, wait a second, 
I'm a friend of God. I have been transformed to the point where I can say, I love my Lord God, the heart, soul, mind, and strength. This person over here who's completely different, who, who is like from Mars to me, totally different world, my next door neighbor. I love him or, or her as myself. Why? So they can see that our God is personal, that on a real life way, my life has been transformed where it's not about arguments anymore. It's not about, wait a second, I was a gay marriage state from the very first. I'm against it. An extra neighbor could be for it. I would disagree completely, completely. But you know what? We still love them. You know why? Because they need Jesus. That's why. We love them because we've first been loved. And we want them to know that a God they may know about is unknown. We know him because he is our friend, because he came and he saved us. So he continues this, the speech, this magnificent speech he gives. <clears throat> he says, he says <clears throat> What therefore you worship is unknown, thus I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. The next thing that this culture needs to know, if you want to reach 21st century Athens, the next thing is that they need to know they have been created by God. They have been created by God. You have been created by God. You are not an accident. There was not some chemical malfunction that happened in the universe where energy exploded and all of a sudden here we are. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He made the world. He made you. He made heavens. Now, for most of us, I know Brother Way's going through the book of Genesis. I'm sure he, he, he would agree. We were created in six days, amen. I agree with that. For most of us, that's an assumption. I grew up being taught that in Sunday school. My parents believe that. My pastors believe that. Most of you, I hope, believe that. Guess what? Most people you're going to run into think that is complete baloney particularly those people who are younger. What they've been taught, and it is a tragedy on a number of levels, what they've been taught is not that we've been created in the image of God for the purpose of glorifying God and using our gifts to glorify Him and to serve humanity. That's what we believe, and that's beautiful, isn't it? What the culture, it's in school, it's in television, it's everywhere. The teaching is, we are just the most evolved animal that there is. We have no real purpose. We were an accident. We were a... So I've even read some people say that we actually were a mistake. Now, people don't walk around saying that. But when you're taught that from a young age coming up, and the assumption is that you don't have real purpose in your life. You know what happens? You grow critical. You grow cynical. Let me ask you this. How many think we live in a critical and cynical age? 
Oh, I do. People more cynical than ever. There's a lot of reasons for it, I'm sure. But I think one of the reasons is that we've been brought up believing that we have no purpose. If you have no purpose, you have no hope. Because if you take away creation, you know what you take away? You take away the fact we've been created in the image of God. You take away the image of God, all we are is dirt. We were created not only in the image of God, we were created what? Both male and female. Though, so then the sanctity of marriage that we're so frustrated about, you take that away too. Because there's no difference. Why can't a man marry a woman and marry a man? They're all the same. You've heard that nonsense. That didn't start in Washington. That started in classrooms of people hearing that many years ago. Why does it matter? Because the Bible says we've been created. And he's preaching out in Athens, and he's telling them, you've been created by one true God. In Athens, they don't believe in one God. They believe in millions of God. Our culture believes that God could be anything, and there may not be a God. So it's a shocking, shocking, shocking teaching. But the idea, the teaching that we have been created by God is as fundamental as anything else. Because we also, you take away the fact we've been created by God, it takes away Adam and Eve, it takes away the original sin. And what does that do going down the line to eventually the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus? It's total chaos. And that's the life you see many people live, is they have a chaotic life with no ultimate purpose. So they must know we have been created by God. It's verse 24. Verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. The teaching that Paul tells, tells them is, our God does not need to be served in a temple. Your false gods do. Our God doesn't need anything. We have a God that is... Totally self-sufficient. Isn't that great? A wonderful God. But then he says this. I love this verse. He says, Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I said earlier that, our, that people today, especially young people, are very cynical. I'll tell you what. Younger generation, I don't mean just our youth group. I mean ages say 12 to 35, they can read through people like that. They can see what's real and they can see what's fake like that. They understand. They can read through people. But they've, come out in a, they've come up in a time that's been very cynical. They've come up in a time where they've seen marketing and advertising and everything thrown their way. They have so much information coming in because of their iPhones and television and movies to where there's nothing that is, nothing that is great or true that they really buy into. Another story, another person I talked to told me, he says, do you believe in a good God? I said, yes, I do. And he says, well, then how can all this suffering happen? You guys ever been asked that before? A couple answers you can give. Go back to this text. I'll say, if you're going to give God the credit for all the suffering in the world, you also have to give God credit for all the love we've all received. It says here that we've been, he's been, Gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
If you have life, it's because of God. If you have breath, it's because of God. If you have a family, it's because of God. If you have children or grandchildren, it's to the glory of God. If you, if you summer's coming up, if you taste ice cream, praise God, right? It says everything. I can go there. It's the glory of God. I was... When I first preached, I preached nine minutes. I know that's hard to believe, y'all. With a translator. So it's like, I mean, I think I preached 30 minutes to translate. I only talked for 15 minutes. I was called to preach. I do not know how God took someone who barely, I barely passed communications class in high school. I could not talk in front of people. So God called me to preach. And now my beautiful wife I met, in a great quote-unquote coincidence, right? Yeah, right. We're going to go to Iowa and plant a church. You know why? Because God is the author of everything that's good. This generation now lives in, we can sit, lives, and I still believe it, in the greatest country in the world. Oh, we have flaws. We have big flaws. Let's be real about it. It's still a nation that if you want to make something of yourself, you can. You've got to be educated. You've got to be smart. You've got to work harder than you used to probably, but you can. We, we still have incredible blessings and fortune that God has given us, even to lost people. Ever been around uh, one of the things that's hard in our culture is reaching the art community. I don't know why it's so hard, but it is. Some of those creative people in our culture tend to be the those that are the furthest from God. I don't know why. I talked to one who's a great painter. He was struggling with God. I said, man, you can really paint. I mean, you really, really could. He said, thanks. I said, why can you paint? He said, I, I was just born this way. I said, no, maybe you were gifted that way. Made him think a little bit. Here's what that means, guys. When you're trying to talk to someone in our culture who's rejected the idea there's a good God, you look at the things that you love about them, the ways God has blessed them, the, what, the gifts God has given them. It could be kids. It could be grandkids. It could be talents. It could be abilities. And you say, you, because we know you've been created, you've been created to the glory of God to enjoy and use these gifts to his glory. Do not waste them. Do not waste them. That's what he's telling People of Athens. Look at verse 26. I love the next two. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. They should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. It says in verse 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. I love that. The word nation is better translated, people group better translated, cultures. So here's what he tells them. He says, okay, Athens, this God I'm preaching about, he has created every nation for one man. Who's the one man? Adam, right? Every single culture goes back to one man. And that God loves every culture. That's huge. Oh, that's huge. What that says is this. Incredible teaching. It says that people who are from every 
tribe and tongue have been created and sustained to the glory of God to be from that tribe and tongue. What he's saying is, one, we're all from God. Two, there can't be any racism because they all come from God. A question that I am asked and I have heard asked, I've read more than ever, is why is the church so racist? Jump floored. I, I, but the question is commonly asked. A pastor preached on Sunday Sunday. It's a common question. Because there's a belief that one of the most segregated times in our country is 11 o'clock church hour Sundays. My answer is I don't know. But I do know this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what makes culture beautiful. You can go to every culture, every religion in the world. Get this. Every religion in the world comes and it's usually about one culture. Judaism. Remember Judaism, it comes from the nation of what? Israel, right? Remember Jesus' ministry time and time again? Most of his parables was telling Jewish people that the Messiah isn't just about the Jews. The Messiah is also about the Gentiles. Because the Jewish people, Pharisees, Sadducees, they wanted to to hoard the oracles of God and hoard the kingdom of God just to themselves. Read the book of Jonah for, for the best example. Islam. Islam believes in a form of evangelism, but you know what they believe? They believe that they need to take their 7th century Arabian culture and advance it to every area of the world. That's why most of you are scared of Islam. You have misconceptions and everything else. But most people are scared of Islam, not because you're scared of Muslims, but you're, you're scared of the image of what the culture brings with it. One of the commands of the Quran is not only to advance Islam, but to take the culture with it. Hinduism teaches one thing. Well, a lot of things, a lot of strange things. But it says that the premier nation of the world is India. Shintoism does it with Japan. And Confucianism does it with China. Let me ask you this. Does Christianity say the United States is the best country? Does it? Do we have an American religion? Again, look at these flags. First time I preached in my life, I said I went nine minutes, right? Second time I preached, I went 45, okay? So I picked up real quick. You know where second time I preached was? It was in Zambia, in a circle of huts. And I was a tall, fat, white guy there. I st- they knew who I was. I stood out. Preached about, just preached Jesus. I forgot what I preached. Preached Jesus, right? Saw some folks say it was a great time. Oh, I stood out. Who is this guy? I stood out completely different than them. We sang a song. I, I love this story. We sang a song, and it was called Searching, Searching Here or There. And in the song, they would go around. I'm not going to try to sing like I'm in Zambia. It's bad. <laughs> I can't sing anyway. People were going through, and they were searching through one another's pockets, trying to find God. It's like a, they, 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 they found God. They're trying to show that they looked for other things before they found God. Okay. Anyway. So during the actual song, people were coming up and looking through one another's pockets. I'm nervous. This is my second sermon. My first sermon was a nightmare. So, like, I'm terrified, okay? So I'm standing in the front row, singing, clapping. Big white guy in an African church. Here comes around somebody behind me 
reaches in and grabs my pockets and starts singing, searching, searching here or there. I said, what in the world are you doing? He comes across and gives me a hug. And we praise God together. Will we do that here or in Sioux City? No, we're going to get get knocked out, right? But you know what? In Zambia, it's completely culturally appropriate. Why? Because that's how they worship God. That's how the gospel goes forth. That's how the gospel is proclaimed. And we're part of it. What we say is, you know what? we're We're just white folks from Mississippi. We're here in Zambia. Yeah, we stand out. We don't have a lot in common. We had more money than you. We had a pretty building. You mean in a hut. But you know what? To the glory of God, we are part of the church of God, the redeemed of the Lord. And the unique message is the gospel. No religion is going to put that out there like that. Because Christianity is not Jewish. It's Jewish in heritage, but it's not Jewish. It wasn't America's idea. It was God's idea. Our Savior was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The glory of God. So here's the point. When he says all culture comes from one man, what he's saying is this. We all come from Adam. God's Lord of it all and he loves all of it. When they hear that, they're shocked in Athens. Today, Americans pursue multiculturalism more than ever. Racism is hated. Praise God. Praise God for that. But it's not because all cultures are supposed to be the same. No. Cultures are to be different, glorifying God in their cultural heritage. Amen? That is unique to the gospel. And Paul proclaims that they are shocked. Let's go back to the text. Verse 30, going forward, it says, verse 30, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising, for, raising him from the dead. So he goes through all this. He looks at the people of Athens. And they're getting, they're getting riled up because this is new teaching for them. He says, oh yeah, one more thing before I forget. One day God's going to judge humanity by the guy that he sent named Jesus who was crucified and can save you because of his resurrection. What do we call that, guys? The gospel, right? That's the gospel message. Very simple point here. 21st century Athens here, 1st century Athens then, 1950s America when I was growing up, 1980s America when I was growing up. If we're still around in 3,000 America, I wonder, you know what's going to save? The gospel. But what you're seeing now, I'll forewarn you, you're seeing in churches now where we're getting away from the gospel. Because it's not popular, people. I have friends of mine, several, who will say, you know, we believe the gospel, we believe Jesus, but we we don't want to tell everybody because they may get upset. I'll say, well, yeah, they, they, they might. But you know what? Them get upset now is going to be a lot better than burning in hell. Right? I mean, right? What's happened is we, Christians, um, because 
our message is so exclusive in a culture, as we said earlier, where you have 20% of atheists say they believe in God and 12% of Christians say that God's a life force because of all that stuff. We're at a time where when you say a simple message, Jesus saves. It's earth-shattering. Because what you're saying by definition is only Jesus saves. Most people don't want to hear it. But you know what? When Jesus preached, they don't want to hear it either, did they? When Jesus died on the cross, his, his return will be where he comes triumphantly. But he first came on a cross. Look at verse 32. It says, Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So the first reaction is that he tells them of the resurrection of the dead. The first people, they mock him. They are angry. They are fired up because what he said is, all these gods you worship and all these philosophers you admire, nothing. You go to heaven because the God of the universe sent his son to die on the cross and be resurrected for your sins. That's how you get there. They thought that was crazy. verse 33 says Paul went out from their midst he left he had some people who who wanted to hear more some people who rejected it but look at verse 34 but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them what does that mean it means that even in the midst of a cultural cafeteria of Athens where he went in and there was no Christian understanding. Zero. None. There wasn't any Christian understanding at all. He goes in and he preaches the gospel culturally where they can understand it. And what happened? People were saved. Here's the point, guys. Our culture is very different now than it was 20 years ago. Some of you 50 years ago, like I said, it's breathtaking. It's different. We have to be more intentional about how we love. We have to understand that people are more critical and more cynical. We have to understand that they come with worldviews that we cannot imagine. You will meet atheists to say they're Christians. (laughs) You may meet Buddhists to say they believe in many gods. You may meet people who say they're secular but love the Lord. That's all possible. They may think that God does not love. They may think that that the God of the universe has done nothing good for them. But at the end of the day, if you do it in love, you do it in grace, guess what? There will be people who hear that gospel. And God, the Holy Spirit, does what only the Holy Spirit can do. He opens up their heart for them to be saved. At the end of the day, our culture is different, but we're still saved by the same old story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Glory to God.